Well, hey, it's a privilege to be back with you um, this morning. I hope y'all had a great Thanksgiving. Now, be honest. How many of y'all asked the Lord to bless that potato, sweet potato souffle to the nourishment of your body? Because we know that was a stretch, okay? <laughs> that was a stretch. All right. But hey, uh, we had some good eating. I hope you guys did too. It was, a great, it was a great week. So much to be thankful for. And I'm thankful for my church family uh, and to worship with you this morning. We're going to continue through the book of Acts this morning. We're going to be talking about missions, the work of the Spirit. Didn't necessarily plan it this way, but in God's providence, as He's apt to do, uh, this sermon lines up with kind of the beginning of the month of December as we're about to get into December and our emphasis on the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is kind of the Southern Baptist's kind of like big deal <laughs> offering. Uh, that's one of the reasons I love being Southern Baptist is we pool our resources together with tens of thousands of other like-minded churches to send out missionaries. We have one of, I believe, the largest mission sending force in, in the world. <clears throat> and none of, our, none of our missionaries, unlike other organizations, none of our missionaries, uh, IMB missionaries, have to wonder um, am I going to get? Uh, am I going to get a paycheck? Am I going to be able to provide for my family uh, th- this week or this month? Because we're supporting them, we're holding the rope for them as their Southern Baptist churches. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, uh, uh, from Acts chapter 13, missions, the work of the Spirit. But before I, I do, uh, we we go there. I, I'd like to to pray for us one more time. But I just do want. I, I wanted to mention before I do that. Um, I received a, a call this morning, uh, which was super encouraging. Um, it was a friend of mine, uh, Brother Todd Bishop. Um, maybe, probably most of you don't know Todd, but Todd is the pastor at Ruth Baptist Church in Blakely County. Uh, it's a great little church. But he called me this morning, and it, and it blew me away. He's like, Chad, um, our church is going to pray for your church this morning in our worship service. How can, how can we specifically pray for you? And that just filled my heart, just full of just gratitude and joy. And I'd like to pray for them this morning. I'd like to pray for Todd and Ruth Baptist Church. He's a great brother. That's a great church. If you have friends in Blakely County, you can encourage them to go there. Uh, but let's pray for Ruth Baptist Church this morning as we uh, worship King Jesus together with them as they're doing so, I'm sure, right now. Father in heaven, Lord, what a, what a privilege to belong to you and to belong to your people, Lord. And it is just We're so grateful, God, that we really are brothers and sisters in Christ with with the saints all over the world and and the saints at Ruth Baptist Church, God, just over the county line. And so, Lord, I just ask a special blessing, God, upon those brothers and sisters right now, even as they worship you, even as they sing praise to your name, even as they hear your word proclaimed this morning. God, I pray that your spirit would just saturate that church in a powerful way this morning, that your presence would be made known, Lord, in just a, a, an unmistakable way, that you would have your way among those brothers and sisters. They'd be full of the Spirit, God, full of joy and hope and courage, Lord, to be lights and witnesses for you, God. So have your way, God. Bless Ruth Baptist this morning, and bless us also, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. If you have a Bible, let me ask you, invite you to turn to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, and so to catch us up real quick, if you remember, last time we talked about how the church age, which is the age we live in, is an age of uh, kingdoms in conflict. And we saw that last week uh, with King Herod 
and how even though he was the Roman-supported king of Israel, King Herod set himself up against the uh, heavenly-supported king of Israel, King Jesus, and that was a fatal error. And we saw how Herod was eaten by worms, but the Word of God lived on. And we talked about how chapter 12 in the book of Acts served as a transition from focusing on Peter and the church in Jerusalem, which Acts had kind of focused on up until this point. But now, uh, following chapter 12, uh, we have the church in Antioch, and we begin to see a focus on the Apostle Paul and his ministry, especially his missionary ministry, to the Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire. And we see here today the church in Antioch sending out what we might call the first official international missionaries. And so what I want to talk about today is is what is missions and how is it accomplished? And what we're going to see today is that from beginning to end, missions is a work of the Holy Spirit. Missions is a work of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about from Acts chapter 13 this morning. If you're able and willing, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, uh, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, a a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to talk about missions, the work of the Spirit, and we're going to see the Spirit doing three things this morning. Number one is that the Spirit calls. Number two is that the Spirit proclaims. And then number three is that the Spirit defends. So the Spirit calls, the Spirit proclaims, and the Spirit defends. So first, we're going to see how the Spirit calls, okay? So in Acts, we're transitioning from Jerusalem to uh, where we saw the gospel 
began in Jerusalem, as Jesus said it would, right? And then it spread to all Judea and Samaria. And now it is time in the book of Acts uh, to do what Jesus said it was going to do, and that is for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And I think what is interesting for our purposes here is that the gospel going to the ends of the earth began in a church worship service. It began in a church worship service. We can very well say that this one church gathering changed the world. And that's why, that's why we can never forget, right, that missions is, is the work of the church, right? Yes, we have the IMB, the International Mission Board, but the IMB as Southern Baptist entity is only meant to help churches send missionaries. The IMB doesn't send missionaries, strictly speaking. Churches send missionaries because the church is God's missionary organization. We are God's missionary organization. And this one church gathering changed the world. We are told that there were a number of leaders at the church at Antioch, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, um, and, and most of these we know very little about. But it is an important picture there of a strong church in Antioch because when you have a plurality of leadership of godly men, uh, that's, a, that's a healthy thing for a church there, and they had healthy leadership there. And we even see a pointer to some diversity in leadership there. It says Simeon was called Niger. Uh, Niger is Latin for black, and so it's possible, maybe even likely, that, Niger was bla- uh, that Simeon was black. And so... Uh, it's just interesting there, a point of comment on the note of the diversity within the leadership of the church at Antioch. And so in this worship service that changed the world, it said they were worshiping and fasting and that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the first thing that we need to see here is that the missionary call is a work of the Holy Spirit, right? It says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, right? So the Spirit is the one who set apart Barnabas and Saul. The Spirit is the one who fuels, empowers, and affects uh, the mission of God, the gospel going to the ends of the earth. God is going to save people. God has people he wants to save. He's going to get the gospel out there, but but he has chosen to do it through his people, through his church, right? I mean, theoretically speaking, he could just Send an angel over there, I guess, and tell him the gospel. But that's not what he wants to do. He wants to send you. And he wants to send me to make Christ known throughout the world so that all people will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because that's what Paul says in another place, right? Every One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord and people need to know that. And, so, and it is the Holy Spirit who enables us, who calls us, who empowers us to do that. And especially and specifically in the calling of missionaries, right? It's it's the setting apart by the Holy Spirit of certain individuals within the church to do that. And so, and so, and so that's important to remember when we talk about missions. Now, I, I do think it's important for some definitions here. When we talk about missions, sometimes we say things something like every, we'll say everyone's a missionary. Well, we know what we mean when we say that, but strictly speaking, right? Not everyone is called to the work of cross-cultural international missions, right? So in that sense, not everybody's a missionary. And when I say that, some people just go, well, a sigh of relief, all right? But don't, don't, don't do that too soon, all right? 
Because while not everybody, I believe, is called to the international mission field, everybody is called to play a part in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Missions is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit directs the church. The church of Antioch laid hands on them and, uh, and appointed them and sent them out. And undoubtedly, they supported them and helped them however they could and prayed for them while they were gone. Because everybody has a role to play in international missions. John Piper has said that when it comes to international missions, you either go, send, or disobey. Those are the only options, right? Because what? Because, because the missionary fervor of the church is what got the gospel here to the United States of America across an ocean thousands of miles away. Why? So that you could be forgiven of your sins. All right? And so it is our responsibility because somebody loved us enough to leave land and home and kindred and everything to, to take the gospel across the Atlantic Ocean so that we could know Jesus. And so that same love must compel us to go to other people who have little to no access to the gospel. It may surprise you, but there are places in the world where people still have little to no access to the gospel. And by the way, most of those places, the reason why they're, they're, they are that way today is because it's dangerous to be a Christian. But, if, but wouldn't you want someone to risk their lives so that you could know Jesus? So that you could know forgiveness of sins and eternal life? So that's the call, to go sin or disobey. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would prompt people in our church. I pray that God would raise up missionaries from Hillside Baptist Church. I really do. It may seem like a, like a far-off dream, but I just, I just say maybe, maybe not. All right, you may be sitting in this pew right now, and you say, I'd never do that. <laughs> never tell the Lord, never. He might just, he might just, you just might be the next one packing your bags. All right? But I pray that we do that. I pray that we can do that. I pray that the Lord would do that. So the second thing we notice about the missionary call is that the call wasn't just an individual private in the matter. It was something that was discerned by the church. I think this is an important part of any type of calling, not both in the missionary call and, and even the, the, the pastoral call and the ministry call. Right? We live in a day that idolizes private experience. We say things like, I feel called to this. Or I don't feel called to that, and that's just, and then when we say that, that's just the end of the matter. That's all that matters. But that's just not true, right? Notice here, it doesn't say that Paul and Barnabas stood up and said, hey, we feel called to missions. It says the Holy Spirit told the church to set apart Paul and Barnabas for missions. All right? So the missionary call, then, is a work of the Spirit discerned by both the individual and the church, right? It's something discerned by both the individual and the church, right? And so... You know, if, and so it's, it's something that's worked out together. And so if the Lord is doing something in your heart and anything, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be international missions, but of course, definitely if that, right? You know, tell us, talk to me, talk to Ron, talk to your Sunday school teacher. These are things we need to be praying about together. These are things we need to be working through together. These things we need to be preparing for together so that God can take us to where he wants us to go. And then the final thing that I want us to notice here is that the church received this direction as part of a worship service. Now, I just, you know, we, we got to remember the context, right? When, when Paul was converted, Jesus had already told him that he would be one to proclaim the gospel to Gentiles and nations and kings. So he already had this inkling, this idea, that this, this understanding that 
uh, that was a call that God had on his uh, that God had on his life. But in the context of this worship service, the church saw the leadership of the Holy Spirit saying, "Set these two apart specifically for the work of of cross cultural missions." Right? They're they're traveling throughout the whole known Roman Empire to do this. And so I just can't help but think that as a church that has the Apostle Paul there, that a church that this is one of the first churches where, where Gentiles have gotten saved, right? So non-Jews are brought into the people of God, right? And they undoubtedly can't help but think that they were taught and talked about Jesus's command in Matthew chapter 9. You remember this? Matthew chapter 9, 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right? And so you put all that together, and I just can't help but think that the church in Antioch was sitting there thinking, well, hey, look, God has saved all these people, and our Lord commanded us to pray that he would raise up and send out people into the mission field. And I just can't help but think that they were fasting and praying about, Lord, what do you want us to do to get the gospel to the ends of the earth? And then God told them, set these two apart. And so a church that is serious about the mission, that is serious about saying, Lord, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? When we ask Jesus to send out laborers to the harvest, right, it'd be kind of selfish to pray that by saying, Lord, send someone else, but take me off the table, (laughs) right? But they're praying earnestly, right, for the Lord to do that. And, And notice that it's an act of God. That's why we pray, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we pray. We pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest, and I believe when we get serious about praying for that, that's exactly what God is going to do. So that's why I encourage you, this, this, as we think about missions, as we think about missionaries, I encourage you, especially this month during Lottie Moon Christmas Eve, pray that God would make Hillside Baptist Church a missionary-sending church. At, um, at, our, at the Dodge County uh, Baptist annual meeting that we had, um, last month, uh, my, my mentor, Al Jackson, preached a sermon on missions, and he shared this illustration about um, there was a young couple at their church in Lakeview in Auburn, uh, and they felt called to the mission field. <clears throat> but they needed some work experience before they really would be able to go. And so this young couple ended up moving. I can't remember if it was North or South Carolina, but they moved to one of the Carolinas, um, to get this work experience, and of course, when they went there, they, they joined a church there, okay? And as they got that needed work experience at the end of those two years, that church that they had joined there in the Carolinas commissioned them uh, as missionaries, and at the commissioning of this young couple, uh, the pastor made the comment that the church had been in existence for 148 years. And this was the first missionaries this church was sending out. And I just want to say that we do not want it to be said that this church existed for 148 years before we send our first missionary. I don't want that to happen. I I want it to be said we send out missionaries to the glory of God. That that we can look out at the world and say, you know what? I'm not content that for the gospel to just arrive at me, but then stop here. But I want to send it back out to the ends of the earth 
for the glory of God. And the way God does that, one of the, one of the things that catalyzes God doing that is us praying. So let's pray as a church to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Think about it. Pray about it. The more we pray about it, the more God's going to work. So number one, the Spirit calls. Number two, the Spirit proclaims. The Spirit <coughs> the Spirit proclaims. So in verse 4 there, if you look in verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Again, notice the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia. They arrived at Salamis. And they began to proclaim the word of God. So notice here that their proclamation of the word of God is a result of them being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Nowadays, when we think about Holy Spirit power, what do people think about? Well, we think about televangelists on TV. We think about people speaking in tongues. We think about people getting slain in the Spirit. All right? But the number one manifestation, hear me now, the number one manifestation in the book of Acts of the power of the Holy Spirit is, pro, is proclamation of the gospel. That's the number one manifestation of the Spirit. When somebody is telling somebody else about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working in that person, enabling them, empowering them to, to speak the truth boldly in love. That is the power of the Spirit at work. If you want to see the power of the Spirit at work, tell somebody about Jesus. All right? <clears throat> so the Spirit is sending them out. And this message is coming from the Holy Spirit to the, the, the world. And so they've arrived on Cyprus, and, and uh, the Spirit empowers them to proclaim. And so that, and this reminds us there, it reminds us too that the primary missionary task is proclamation, right? The primary missionary task is proclamation. Um, as we send out missionaries, we can and should do good. We should help the poor. We should provide aid in healthcare and education and Christian. Christian missionaries have done this for literally hundreds of years. Many of the schools and, and hospitals, large hospitals all over the world, were started by missionaries. And so that's massively important. But at the same time, we can, but the, the primary, those are tools to aim at proclaiming, that's the tools to accomplish the primary aim of proclaiming the word of God. When Paul and Barnabas went out, they went out to proclaim the word of God. That is because Christianity is centered about around proclamation. The telling, the telling, preaching, teaching, opening our mouths and speaking what Luke calls the Word of God. Christianity is a, is a, is a proclaiming religion. Why? Because the, what saves is the gospel. And what the gospel is, is good news, right? That's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the message, right? They proclaim the Word of God. And in and what Luke is saying here when he says the word of God, he's not, he's not specifically talking about the scripture or the Bible, although that's kind of involved. But when he says the word of God, what he means is the message of Jesus. He means the gospel. That, that 2,000 years ago, God climactically intervened in human history by sending his son. God the son entered into time-space history by taking on human flesh and becoming and being born of a virgin as Jesus of Nazareth. All right? It's Christmas time, right? Well, what's Christmas? Christmas is literally about the greatest thing in the world because God entered his own creation. To do what? To save us from our greatest problem, to save us from our sin. 
Jesus came. He was born. He lived a life without sin. He died a substitutionary death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. Okay? And he physically, bodily, on the third day, rose from the dead to prove that sin has been forgiven. Forgiven sin has no power. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, who lived and died and rose from the dead, you too can have the hope of eternal life so that one day... When Jesus comes back, all the dead in Christ will be raised from the dead to, be lit, to live forever with him in a world free from sin. That's good news. That's good news. And that's the news that we get to tell people, right? It's not first. We're not telling first people something they should do. We're telling first what God, something God has done for them. So the question is, how are they going to respond to it? How are you going to respond to the gospel? All right? Jesus has already accomplished, has already done everything necessary for you to have eternal life. The question is, how are you going to respond to it? All right? That's, that's the gospel, right? Um, so this is, this is, that's, and that's the Christian message, right? That's, what, that's how Christianity exists. That's what Christianity is built around. It's the proclamation of the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you turn from your sin and follow Jesus... He will forgive you at that moment, instantaneously, of all your sin, past, present, and future. He will adopt you into his family. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit, and he will begin transforming you from the inside out to help you become the person that deep down you always knew you were made to be. It's a work of God. It's a gift of God. And it's, it's accomplished by Christ, and it's applied by the Holy Spirit of God. So that's, so that's the... That's the message that has been proclaimed by the Christian church for literally the past 2,000 years. And that's the message that's still proclaimed today. And maybe somebody in this room, maybe somebody watching online, and you just deep in your heart, you just know, I haven't, I haven't fully, I haven't truly surrendered to Jesus. And maybe Jesus is prompting your heart today. And he's just saying, look, it's me. I'm the one. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Forgiveness of sins is found in me. Trust in me today. All right? That, that, that's the gospel. You can find life, abundant life, now and forevermore. So number one, the Spirit calls. Number two, the Spirit proclaims. And then finally, number three, the Spirit defends. The Spirit defends. So the last thing we see in our passage is in verses 6 through 12, right? And they have, they, uh, have traveled through, through Cyprus, and they landed at Salamis, which is on the east coast, and they traveled their way along uh, the island of Cyprus to the western side of the island to the city of Paphos, which is the Roman headquarters of the island. Okay, and on, at, the, at Paphos, they find the Roman, the, uh, the Roman proconsul named Sergius Paulus, all right? And part of uh, uh, Sergius's um, kind of like entourage, if you will, is uh, this Jewish uh, false prophet magician named Bar-Jesus, all right? And him and Paul kind of have like a little head-to-head encounter, all right? And it's very fascinating. And so what we see here is that um, uh, Paul is there, and he's preaching the gospel, and, um, and he finds this governmental leader, this proconsul, Sergio Paulus. So I just want to make a comment at this point 
to just kind of note uh, the historical nature of the book of Acts um, when Luke gives us these kind of details, right? Because you probably won't be surprised to find out that a lot of people don't believe the Bible. A lot of people don't believe the book of Acts. Uh, some people just think it's, it's a historical fiction. Now, besides the fact that that genre of literature didn't even exist back then, um, I just think it's not hard to just read the book of Acts and just see that who, Luke, who's writing it, clearly believes that he is just presenting history as he has, as he has investigated it and discovered it. All right? And so, um, and uh, uh, kind, of, kind of an apologetic detail there that I think is helpful and interesting is that we have lots of lots of evidence that Luke is giving a very detailed historical account here because he knows things that, like, unless you were there and unless you lived it, like, you couldn't really know. So, again, just as an example, right, he calls Sergius Paulus here the, the Greek word uh, that's translated proconsul. Now, the thing about that is that in the Roman Empire, they had all different kinds of, 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 of p- governmental positions, right? And they had different titles for people, for, for, they had different titles for um, uh, senatorial provinces versus imperial provinces, right? And all these very specific detailed titles for these different leaders. In every case where Luke talks about a specific town or region and a specific leader, he always gives the exact precise Roman title for that office. He, he gets them right every single time. Why? Because he knew it. Because he was there. All right? Because he knew how the Roman government worked because he was actually recording history and what was happening at that time. All right? And in fact, we actually have three ancient inscriptions that record that date to this time period that record a governmental leader named Paulus. And one of those in particular specifically names a Sergius Paulus. And so one of these for sure is this guy that Paul is, that Paul is preaching the gospel to here. And so, um, just again, it's just an encouragement to remember that like Paul is really writing what really happened. And so when he records these miracles, which some people find fantastical, the truth is, is he's just saying, hey, look, we did this and we did this, and then this miracle happened. And he doesn't make a big deal about it. He's just like, that's what happened. All right? And so they get this proconsul, they get to this proconsul, and he sends for them because they were interested, he was interested in their message. And Luke actually calls him an intelligent man, you know, probably because he was interested in the gospel. All right? But they find this uh, Jewish magician, this sorcerer, this false prophet named uh, Bar-Jesus. And then we have this very interesting, what we could call battle of the prophets, right? This whole account is kind of depicted, right, as, um, as a battle of the prophets. Uh, you remember how Elijah battled the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, right? And so they're kind of dueling it out to see, like, who is the true representative, right, of the true God. Okay, and so and so he's and so Paul kind of uh, engages in this kind of battle of the prophets with Bar Jesus, and now Bar Jesus is opposing Paul and Barnabas, probably because he realizes that if Sergius believes the gospel, he's probably not going to need Bar Jesus's services anymore because the scripture actually forbids the practicing of magic because it's. It's, it's, it's trying to manipulate reality in the world without respect for God, all right? And so Bar-Jesus kind of realizes what's going on here, and so he kind of stands in, in their way and opposes Paul and Barnabas. And in this confrontation, Paul actually calls him the, a son of the devil. You son of the devil, all right? Now, that may seem like strong language to us, 
But the truth is, is that uh, Jesus actually used that same language, right? What is Bar-Jesus doing? Bar-Jesus is intentionally choosing to reject Christ, and not only that, he's trying to turn other people away from believing in Jesus too. Now, let me tell you something. The number one thing the devil wants to do in the world is keep you from believing in Jesus. And so when someone else is out there trying to keep other people from believing in Jesus, they might not realize it, but they're being a son of the devil. They're acting just like their father. And that's what Jesus actually, Jesus actually called the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. He said, you're children of your father, the devil, because you're doing what he did. All right. In fact, in, um, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Right? So it's bad enough to reject Jesus for yourself, but it's even worse to be a hindrance to other people who would believe in Jesus. Okay? And what's interesting is there's lots of irony here because the name Bar-Jesus literally means son of Jesus. So his name means son of Jesus, but who is he? Well, he's the son of the devil. All right? So there's, uh, there's, there's a bunch of irony going on here. So what did Paul do? Well, Paul confronted him, he defended the gospel, and we actually have a very rare occurrence here of what we could call a judgment miracle. That is that God performs this miracle uh, of judgment upon uh, Elemas, upon Bar-Jesus, because of his opposition to the gospel, where God actually blinds him. So in other words, the one who tried to blind others spiritually becomes physically blind himself, okay? And it's an act of judgment upon him. Uh, but what's interesting there, and I think it's intentional too, is that Paul tells them that you will be unable to see the sun for a time. All right, so what is Paul indicating there? Well, Paul indicate, Paul's indicating that the blindness will be temporary. So remember, there was somebody else in the New Testament who one time was opposing Jesus and became blind. You remember him? The Apostle Paul, right? And so what, what, what are we supposed to make of that? Well, I think we're supposed to make that. Hey, we don't know what happened to Bar-Jesus, but maybe when God blinded him, maybe the same thing happened to him that happened to Paul. Maybe Bar-Jesus realized, hey, I'm on the wrong team, and I need to come to Jesus. So we can actually hope that even though God kind of did this judgment miracle on him, maybe it wasn't to hurt, ultimately uh, to hurt him, but maybe it was to actually lead him to genuine faith in Jesus, and maybe that's what happened. We don't know. <clears throat> And so, but, but the main takeaway, and the takeaway we'll leave with this morning is this, is that, and that is that the gospel work will, also, will always face opposition. The gospel work will always face opposition. It's just important to remind ourselves of this, <clears throat> because I just really believe, <clears throat> here's the thing, the no, I say this all the time, right? The number one most often repeated command in the Bible is fear not, is don't be afraid, right? Because why? Because it takes courage to be a Christian. It's that simple. It takes courage to be a Christian. Why? Because it's hard, and it takes courage to do hard things, right? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, what did Jesus say? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Well, who voluntarily denies themselves? Only someone who's courageous. Who voluntarily offers themselves to be crucified? Only somebody who's courageous, 
right? Who voluntarily will follow Jesus knowing that it'll, it'll make some people not like you? It'll make some people think ill of you. It will make some people slander you. It will make some people, in some cases, you might lose your job over it. You might get in a lawsuit over it. In some cases, you might lose your life over it, right? Who's going to follow Jesus when those are at stake? Well, people who have courage. Because gospel work will always face opposition, and it takes courage to follow Jesus. And I do think, right, that, you know, we can't, we got to realize, right, and I, that we live in a world that for a long, long time has kind of told us, hey, you keep your religion to yourself, right? That's what they said, right? Your religion is a private thing. It doesn't belong out in the public sphere. I don't think Jesus thought like that. I don't think the Apostle Paul thought like that. The Apostle Paul busted up at the governor's mansion, all right, and had a showdown with one of his advisors over, over who Jesus is, right? So I don't think we should be afraid. We should, we should walk out these doors and not be afraid. I mean, I'm, not, I'm clearly not saying don't be a jerk, don't be rude, but if somebody is speaking out against, against Jesus, stand up and say, no, Jesus is real. Jesus is true. Jesus is God. You know, defend, defend him. You know, stand up and be courageous for Jesus. Speak the truth out in the, in the public square. Follow Jesus. The gospel work is always going to face opposition, but don't be afraid of it because the Spirit, because the, the Spirit defends. You just, the, the Lord will fight those battles, right? When David went up against, um, when David went up against Goliath, right, he was asking around the camp, you know, why, why are you guys so afraid? Why don't none of you want to fight Goliath? Now, of course, everybody knew that. He was nine foot tall, all right, and has fought since he was a baby. But David, but David was like, David didn't understand why everyone was afraid because what was Goliath doing? He was opposing God. I don't care how tall Goliath is. He ain't going to beat God. So if God is on your side, I don't, you can fight 100 Goliaths. They're all going to fall. And so that's the thing. God will fight the battles when you stand up for him. So the Spirit calls, the Spirit proclaims, and the Spirit defends. Let's pray together. King Jesus, Lord, um, missions is your work. You said that your gospel would go from Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the truth is, Lord, when you said that to your disciples, you were thinking about us. America is the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. But Lord, it's here now, and the truth is, is there are still places in this world where it's hard for people, it's hard, it would be hard, it's hard for people to hear about Jesus. And Lord, I believe with all my heart that that same command that you gave to them, Lord, you're giving to us, because just as they left land and homes and families to bring the gospel here, Lord, you want us, you don't want it to stop with us, you want it to go to those places where people need to hear about you. And so I do pray, King Jesus, I pray to you, we pray to you this morning, to the Lord of the harvest, that you would raise up laborers for the harvest. I pray that in the not-too-distant future, Lord, Hillside Baptist Church would be able to send out missionaries for your namesake, that we would be able to just lay hands on a brother, sister, a couple, whatever in Christ, right here in this church building and saying, brother and sister, you go with God's speed to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Lord, that's not a work we can do, but it is a work that you can do. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would raise up laborers to send for the harvest this morning. And finally, Lord, I pray, finally, Lord, I pray that maybe there's somebody in this 
in, in, under the sound of my voice this morning, and maybe you're just, you're just prompting their heart, Lord, that, that they need you, that they need to turn from their sin, and they need to trust in you. God, I pray that they would just surrender today. God, just lay it down, Lord, just stop running and come home to you. God, I just pray that you grant them the grace, the strength, yes, Lord, the courage, God, to lay down self, to lay down the world, to follow you. There's nothing better. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing.